Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Drunken lovely and singing mermaids abound in this podcast. The Lighthouse is inspired by Edgar Allan Poe's unfinished short story of the same name. Please stay tuned for more of this dark terror. This is the Unsung Cinematics Podcast, where we review some of the best-kept secrets in TV and film. Every week, your hosts, Stuart and Rastislav, present you with a misunderstood movie to see if it deserves the title of being unsung. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to episode number four of the Unsung Cinematics Podcast. Changing direction from our previous episodes, we get to review the work of Robert and Max Edgar's The Lighthouse. This black-and-white psychological terror or horror film from 2018 and 2019 is more of a dance than a walk in the park. Welcome, Rosto. How's the weather treating you today? Hello, everyone. It's 10 plus here, so it's okay. It's a nice weekend. How about down there? Well, we have uh, some snow. It's probably about negative 5 degrees Celsius right now. Uh, we had some pretty bad weather there uh, earlier in the week with negative 30 degrees, which was insane. But that's just how it is when you live in northern Canada. But you don't have a storm, I guess, like in the lighthouse. <laughs> no, no, we don't have a – it's not a storm yet. It could uh, very well turn into a storm, but – but the lighthouse is certainly lots of storms going on in this in this movie. Anyways, uh, to continue on. This is actually my pick this week. Uh, last week and actually the previous episodes were all Rosto's pick. So I have chosen the following clip uh, from this movie because it was particularly dark. And there's actually a monologue just after the clip. So I'm going to go ahead and roll that clip for your enjoyment. That's the trouble with you. That's the trouble with you. With you! With you! No! No! I want a steak! I want a goddamn steak! I... If I had a steak, oh boy, oh, a rare, a bloody steak, if I, if I had a steak, I would fuck it. <laughs> This, yeah. this is a completely crazy movie. The the clips and the scenes in it are absolutely uh, bonkers. But uh, they they go mental. 
Yeah, actually, many scenes in this movie, they're going absolutely mental with things. And, and just so everyone knows, uh, there will be spoilers most likely in this podcast. So if you haven't seen the movie, you may want to watch the movie first and then come back and listen to it. Um, or, or, or you may want to pause this podcast and then come back after you watch it. Yes, um, you can definitely do that as well. Uh, so anyways, Lighthouse um, was originally originally released at the Keynes Festival in Europe on May 2019. And then it, its second release in the U.S. was actually in October 2019. So it's a relatively uh, recent film. So the directors are Robert Edgers and Max Edgers. There was a joint project between the two brothers and the producer, the main producer, as far as I can gather, is Rodrigo Texiera, I believe is how it's pronounced. Distributed by A24 and Universal Global, or Pict- Universal Pictures Global. So if you actually want to watch this movie, you can watch it um, on Amazon. I believe it's on iTunes, Google Play, uh, Vudu, and, and so on and so on. Uh, so it can definitely be streamed as well as I don't know if you can rent it just yet. Uh, I think I think. I think it's still in theaters. Uh, it it's still be. going. In, it's still going in pictures. I think. Okay, I'm not aware exactly where it would be. You'd have to just look at your local listings for that. Right. Um, this movie actually, it's a really good movie. Uh, it was nominated for it had an Oscar nominee in the cinematography category, and was also a winner at uh, the Keynes Festival. Um, the award it received there was the Frepsky. <laughs> I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right because it's an acronym, but Frepsky, Frepsky Award at the at the Keynes Festival. So its initial, it's actually viewer rating on IMDb is seven point seven out of ten, which is pretty decent for IMDb as far as I can tell. And the Metacritic Meta score is actually eighty three. So the critics. I uh, really love this movie. It's uh, if you have a good Metacritic score, you're you're pretty much in in in. So, yeah, the duration of the movie is an hour forty nine minutes. The time frame was set in the eighteen nineties, New England. Uh, well, the setting is supposed to be New England, but it was actually shot in Nova Scotia, as well. It budget the budget. They only had a four million dollar budget, with a fifteen point eight million dollar return on that budget uh, with an open, a slow opening of only $419,000 roughly uh, for the opening. So it was actually, that's probably one of the reasons why this is considered unsung on our podcast, simply because it had a slow opening. It opened at a film festival and it just wasn't big in the theaters. It actually had the second release in the theaters. So um, that's why we. I decided to go with it as well, and it's it's a very unique film as well. It's not uh, something you can just casually watch. It it'll mess with your mind as you watch it, and it's very dark and gritty and whatnot. So, um, yeah, it's definitely an art film, and not for everyone. That's for sure. Not, no, not for everyone. It's not a mainstream movie. No, it's not mainstream, and and that's precisely why we picked it as well. Um, so it's it's a psychological horror. I don't know if I mentioned this already, but it is it is in black and white, and the aspect ratio uh, is actually it's almost a square aspect ratio that you would normally see on uh, TV. I believe it was one point one point nineteen 
to one. Right, one point nineteen to one. So you're going to see black bars if you watch it, unless you have an an old uh, CRT set that you're willing to watch on. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it's it it's a little different in that respect. Um, so I guess we're going to get right into the the categories here. So we're going to start off with the style of directing and the theatrical aspects uh, of the movie. Uh, so as you already know, it's a psychological horror. Um, but you wouldn't know it's a thriller or a horror necessarily based on the title. Uh, even though it's based on Edgar Allan Poe's unfinished short story, um, you wouldn't necessarily know that it, that it was a thriller in that sense. So once you start watching the movie, then you realize what uh, what, the, what the director is actually trying to go uh, go for in the movie. Um, the score and the soundtrack is very... It puts you in the mood a feeling of isolation, I found. sound of, The sound effects are spooky and brooding. Same with the, the choice of music that was used in it as well. Community, the director, I think... I think did a really good job on portraying it as a as a horror. After after about ten minutes into the movie, you really start it really starts to come out just how scary scary this this movie is and how how lonely you can be. You know, kind of trapped in a lighthouse, you're stranded on a on an island, just the two of you, nobody else around. You have limited contact with with anybody. You know, you have to wait for a ship to come in to bring you supplies uh, you're basically on your own it's like almost like living in the wilderness um, I found anyways yeah and um, you always wonder what's next you know in this movie so it really keeps you keeps you watching you know and um, also I wanted to add something to what, what you what you already said there is actually another movie shot in this uh, ratio, in this uh, the same same uh, ratio as this movie. It's uh, aspect M aspect ratio, yeah. Aspect ratio. It's M. It's called M, and it was uh, directed by uh, Fritz Lang. It's an old movie. The guy is uh, wearing the coat, and there is this M written as a murder. It's it's an old movie, so that's just uh, one interesting fact that um, there's another movie like that with this uh, square square uh, aspect ratio. Okay. And also also Eggers was really inspired by early cinema, and uh, Sergei Eisenstein, uh, the Russian Russian director, who did movies back in twenties and thirties. So that's uh, that's that's how he was inspired. Also, the ISO is uh, it's very low. So basically, when they shooting the scenes in um, in the um, in the lighthouse, and when you see the uh, kerosene uh, lamps, mm-hmm. uh, they are actually outfitted with uh, 600 watt uh, halogen bulbs. Yeah, I so think basic, I actually basic. watched the same interview that you you watched. Uh, 
And actually, what Pete, what he means, what Rostow means by ISO is the uh, is the gain or how much light is needed to produce an image. So, right, right. So he used the low ISO. So that's why he had to use uh, like really strong lights. So basically, the film, filming crew was wearing the sunglasses. Uh, the actors they didn't wear any makeup, so the skin of the actors looks really salty and really the features of the skin of uh, Willem Dafoe and uh, Pattin- Robert Pattinson are very you can see almost like pores of the skin. So that that that's the effect they they wanted to achieve. Basically. Yeah, and uh, I mean Ed- Edgar's Edgar's is. Uh... He's a really young. When, he, when I watched interviews, he he almost looked like he was only thirty years old or something. It was, he was really young, and he's very new to. Yeah, he might have been inspired by older films, but he was. He's really been picking up a lot uh, over the last five or six years in, in his uh, style and his. Uh, and he's very particular too. I um, when watching uh, some inter- his some of his interviews, he said that everything was very particular. There wasn't a lot of room for. For script changes or style changes, it was kind of like he basically to- told the cast and the crew, uh, Robert Pattinson and uh, Thomas, I mean, and uh, William or Willem Dafoe, that you you need to basically stick to what you're going to do. It's going to be very proper and very uh, yeah. laid out yeah. for you. So you just need to do your thing. Um, there, there was no imp- improvisation, basically. Right. It was it was strictly strictly just script. And Robert Pattinson actually, uh, from what I saw, it sounded like he wanted to do more improvisation, but he never ended up doing that. So he, they were both kept in, in their their box, I guess you could say. Right, right. And and the film was actually short in a very short amount of time, too, only 34 four days, which is ridiculous. Uh, exactly. Uh, yeah, that, that's hard filmmaking because it's uh, in indie indie film so it's really low budget and plus ag- aggressive timelines aggressive timelines they they fought they fought the weather like crazy they were constantly having equipment breakdowns the lenses because they were using vintage lenses from the uh, first part of the 19th century probably till about 19 19- 30s or so they had to keep fixing them and cleaning them there was so much fog and weather issues that they had to keep you know i guess every few scenes they had to go and keep cleaning them and stuff and it was just uh they said it was cold both actors you know they were they're both saying it was cold and miserable and any time that they weren't filming they were basically in a shelter somewhere just trying to just trying to get warm you know and just trying to get their focus back Right, right. Have you seen The Witch? I have not seen The Witch, no. I didn't even know it existed until you mentioned it uh, earlier in the week there. Okay. Yeah, I've seen I've seen that movie. It's uh there is the same collaboration with uh, between uh, Blaschke and uh, Eggert and it it worth it worth watching. I actually I actually want to suggest it for some of the next episodes to talk about it. Okay, well, if you want to put it on our list of, of picks, I mean, I'm, I'm up for anything that you want to watch. So, <laughs> All right. I also want to mention, too, uh, I just want to mention something about the, the lighting effects as well. Uh, so the style of it, there's lots of shadows. Um, it's not 
it's well lit, but it's also very shadows. And the shadows add to the whole style of the film. Uh, they pulled focus on many of the scenes. They had a lot of, not a lot of, I should say, the focus. You had a lot of sense of what was going on around, around the actors, around the characters in the movie. So they took the focus was not necessarily always on the character, but it was on the whole scene. So it was it was almost like you were reading a book because you could pick out details from everywhere in the, the lighthouse. Uh, you know when they were near the sea. Uh, they were outside. They were up on the roof, fixing the roof of the lighthouse. Uh, in the, I guess it would have been called a um, a coal shack or something, where they were feeding the furnace. Right. Uh, right. Um, so I mean, and everything was had had corners. There was corners everywhere. Uh, it was very spooky. You never knew what was was around you. Very small rooms. Right. Small rooms. You know, uh, in the. Low ceiling. Uh, low ceiling. And actually, the lighthouse, actually, all the buildings in the movie were actually constructed for the movie, including the 70-foot lighthouse. So that was an original construction for the, for the movie as well. Yeah, uh, he, he, couldn't, he couldn't find the right lighthouse. And then, then, he, then he, was, he was actually happy that uh, they built it because so he, he actually uh, could get more control over the movie when it's built. built. Mm-hmm. So you can you can place your you know your cameras your lights and everything else. Uh, so it was much easier for them actually when they when the the old building were actually staged, and many scenes were done in uh, Halifax. I think in some huge. Oh yeah, actually I have that air, in my notes. Air, air, airport hangar. Yeah, it was in. Uh, just give me a sec. It was in the Yarmouth. Nova Scotia Air, uh, International Airport. So there you go. Right. Yeah. So see, he's got really good control over the set, basically, this way. You know, just imagine if he would do it in the real lighthouse. I, I don't think he would achieve uh, such angles and cameras and right. all those uh, dolly shots and everything else. Yeah. He he said that the um, Edgar, Eggers was saying that the the dolly uh the dolly shots the the crane shots were very problematic to do because of the, the so many rocks and and whatnot in the way and it was like stuff was tipping over and it was just getting damaged by the the sea salt i guess that was coming up off the off the right ocean. and always windy right always windy you know always wanting to fall over <laughs> as well um yeah yeah and- and I, I saw the this like uh, post production like there was this um, interview with some of them and you, you could see some um, some some little clips from the film set and you could see Blaske actually going around with the t-shirt. I mean, everybody was freezing and he was just so focused on his work like he. Didn't, didn't even feel the the freeze and everything else. Okay, well, everyone else certainly did. He must have been like, yeah, his mind must have been in some other world. Just get it done. Yeah, they call themselves they call themselves uh, lunatics. Actually, them too, Blaske <laughs> and Eggert. Like uh, they are a couple of like ca- comrades, uh, lunatic, 
comrades in lunacy or something like that i'm not sure what yeah, exactly. J- Jaron was the was the uh, director of photography. I don't think we mentioned that, but yeah, Blaschke, Blaschke. Yeah, he was nominated in the Oscars. Yeah, as well, um, and, yeah. and his choice too of the the sound effects too, like clanking howls of, of the foghorn. Uh, there's always some sort of gears that are sort of churning and clanking and moving, uh, you know, giving you that extra effect and that sort of that feeling like you're you're in the middle of something that's going to go really really wrong here <laughs> exactly and uh foghorn was actually the real foghorn from uh wales in england okay i i don't think the foghorn was on set that was probably just something they they got someone to record and then add in after right it was recorded and added after just like the farts <laughs> yeah just like the farts. <laughs> Yeah, that was yeah. a particularly good uh, style choice, I think. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they, they fired a lot. You know? They fired a lot, and actually, um, in the in the not the first scene, but I think maybe the second or the third scene, when he goes up to his room, both um, <laughs> both Tom. I'm gonna say younger Tom Thomas, and oh, I guess it would be older Thomas. They had the same name, but uh, the. When he goes up into the room where he's going to be sleeping, there's this big pole in the middle of the room that they're staying in. It's got kind of a slanted ceiling. And one of the first things he does is he goes and sits on the bed. Younger Tom goes and sits on the bed. And we don't see older Tom there yet. He's actually hiding behind the pole. And the first thing you hear, you don't hear, you don't hear any dialogue. All you hear is this fart, this silent fart come out. And then he steps out from the... <laughs> Well, he's actually he's actually pissing to the pot. He's in the middle of the room and he's pissing to the pot. Right. And while while he's pissing, he just uh, slipped his fart, you know, right right to the the younger Thomas' face. <laughs> right. So it's just like okay, we know where this is going. <laughs> right. Actually, the sound guy he says like he he will he will never relieve uh, re- reveal. I mean. Where, where, how he did those uh, sounds, fart sounds? He says he's gonna take it to his, uh, to his grave. Oh, he will, well, he will, probably he, his own farts. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that's what I thought. He just probably farted, and that's it. That's it. <laughs> and then, and then use it, use it for the movie. Well, so. I don't know. Maybe uh, it could have been Willem too. He seems like the kind of guy that could probably pull it off. <laughs> <laughs> could be. Well, I, I don't know, but anyways, um, uh, like the the style was very immersive. It really felt like you were watching two people doing their thing in a lighthouse, you know, uh, minus the psychological terror aspect of it. I mean, I don't think necessarily think people are going to go crazy over a thirty day period of it being in isolation. But uh, if everybody, if everything is going wrong, like it was happening in the movie, then maybe you would. Um, so I guess it depends on your personality type as well. Yeah, it depends on the personality because I I don't see it a big deal to be outstationed somewhere, you know, like um, in, in in let's say in this very rock and to take take care about the uh, lighthouse for four weeks. I I don't think it's too long, you know. So there's there's other reasons they they actually. You know, getting uh, kind of crazy there, so you can talk about them later, anyway. Yeah, like I, 
Yeah, I really don't see most people going crazy after 30 days. If it was like an entire year, I could see it uh, happening. I mean, I live in a northern Canadian city, and there's lots of nature around here. And we go out to camp and stuff, and being in isolation is natural for us. So I, in maybe well, in that maybe. sense, it wasn't that believable. Because you, if you were actually, um, as it was mentioned in the movie, you know, you know, before he came to Lighthouse, young, younger Tom was actually in the forestry industry uh, in Quebec, I believe. And if you were in the forestry industry, you're probably not going to have an issue with isolation. So I don't, I think that aspect of the movie wasn't that believable, but it's still made for a good movie, anyways. Well, what I was thinking actually about the uh, uh, younger Thomas character, he might kind of go uh, go mad because he actually stolen the identity and didn't help his um, co-worker while in um, the Quebec, in the timber job. Mm-hmm. So there might be some, you know, pains of conscience and, you know, many many thoughts bad thoughts and thinking and reflecting over this you could see that in the first dream you could see the locks uh closing you know and then 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 uh, he gets uh to the water and the locks closes uh, above him you know the locks close mm-hmm. above his head and he, he cannot get uh, to the water uh, to the surface and then he then he sees this uh, mermaid, so that that's something what happened to his coworker. So, right. Well, he, he, yeah, his, the, co- his coworker. Yeah. You know, he he basically died because of his uh, Thomas's neglect. So, I don't think it's easy to to give give it a false name to someone. You know, like just imagine you know, you, you're going to introduce yourself and you you say completely different name someone who you st- steal it from right right oh. the, the young younger thomas's was uh he he was older tom was always calling calling him winslow ephraim winslow uh which was the stolen name of the character that was in the woods with him doing the uh forestry work that died right i guess a log had fell, fallen on top of him or something like that so yeah, he 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 fell to the water, and the locks locks closed. They closed, so he couldn't get uh, to the surface and to breathe. You know, mm-hmm. and he he's supposed to help him, uh, and he he's saying that you know later in the movie he was actually you know uh, t- telling the story. He's supposed to help him with the stick. You know, so he could uh, grab a stick and go pull pull him outside, but he didn't do it. Right. Somehow, yeah, he, somehow he just he stood, kind of, stood there and and just kind of looked blankly, like, like yeah, he, he was did. in shock or something, or I don't know. He what. was in shock. He just stood there and he 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 couldn't do it. You know. So and so he, so kind of it was almost like he went crazy more because of his past, not necessarily because. He was isolated, but maybe the combination of the two together was what put him over the edge. Right, right. Like really different characters, you know, like on one side, you know, you have a really quiet guy, you know, who's trying to 
maintain his composure. You know, he he refused to drink. He wants to do everything by the books and so on. And the other right. side, you have you have older guy Thomas Thomas Wake was his name, mm-hmm. and he's kind of bossy and he, he's a real asshole actually. You know, he he watches the guy every, every time. He knows everything about him. He's he's like a like a god's eye. You know, he knows everything. Even even he, he even knows uh, like when he jerks off and where, you know? Yeah. Well, he, so, he, he took on like, I guess back in, uh, back in the 18th century, late 18th century, uh, if you had it, like they're both government workers technically, right? So it, because they're government workers, they had to make sure that they were very professional about what they did. And I guess he, I guess Thomas Wake was very, he took that very seriously to a point, but I mean, uh, <laughs> I guess some other stuff might have been getting to into his head as well because he, we, by the time you get halfway through the movie, you realize he's not as professional as you he claims to be, right? So, no, no, he drinks a lot, and then they they supposed to switch the shifts. However, he 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 doesn't do anything. Basically, he just he just he just there with the light. Yeah, he's just kind of like barking orders all the time, you know, like Yeah. He's almost like the, a, t- a taskmaster or a drill sergeant in the army. Yeah. And he actually said that by the book they're supposed to change shifts. They're supposed to alternate. Right. You know? So all those you know tasks the younger Tom was doing, they they're supposed to bo- I I I think both of them should do it. Right. Well, oh, we know we know older Thomas. I mean, he must have been in his sixties already. So he probably his ability to do some of the really hard labor that younger Thomas was doing was probably limited. But I mean, yeah, he's got the limp too, right? Yeah, he's got a limp, and you know, he's 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 probably near the end of his career. Like, I don't think he's. I think his <laughs> intention was probably just to die in the lighthouse, and that would be the end of his life. You know? <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Well, he said himself, right? He, he was. He said, "Like I was uh, 13 years on on the sea, and I never seen my family, you know. So that's why, basically, they they abandoned him, and he, she probably. I, I, I would I, I would have said divorce him because at at that time divorce wasn't possible. But uh, I th- I think they just they just split. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I, he was. It almost seemed like this was his retirement job. I don't know how many years he'd been in that lighthouse, but." Uh, <laughs> probably probably a long time. A long time. So if he was at sea for a long time and then he moved into the lighthouse, so probably half his career was at sea and then when he got older, maybe the work was a little too hard for him, so he ended up moving to this position. And it, it seemed like there was always somebody new coming to the lighthouse being kind of his, his underling to kind of do the hard work. So Yeah, and uh, it looks like he kills them off. Yeah, well, we... I, the first, I don't know if it's I mean, really revealed, but we kind of implied that the first, uh, the the person before younger Thomas, you know, he was killed off by, well, you know, older Thomas. It, it looks like it, you know. There's some indication you can see the head in the lobster trap. Mm-hmm. You know, younger Tom, when he pulls out the uh, lobster trap, there is a head of the previous second, you know, 
Right. And plus, uh, yeah, uh, older Thomas says that uh, it's not no good to sparring with the seagulls because they they because the souls of the old sailors go to the seagulls. And if you noticed, he was very superstitious. It, yeah. Yeah, but if you noticed uh, the seagull that always bothering the younger Tom, he's missing one eye. And the hat that he pulls out with the lobster trap, also missing missing one eye, you know. So there might be some indication that he is actually really there in the seagull and he's really angry and pissed. Yeah, That's the, right. yeah. The seagulls were constantly tor- tormenting uh, younger Thomas. Um, yeah, they were. They were always the, it, the seagulls were always in his way. Like one of the, the at one point, the seagull was in front of him. He was trying to. He had a wheelbarrow and with rocks in it. He was trying to get by, and the seagull just wouldn't move. Uh, some other scenes, they were. I guess he had uh, was drunk at one point, and the seagulls were on top of him, pecking away at him. And then at another point, they were like. I think he was fixing the roof, and they were bothering him there, and they were just yeah. Uh, another scene, I guess the the cistern, you know, had a bunch of dead seagulls, and he freaked out, and he was like, he kills, he kills it. He kills the seagull. He grabs it by the feet, and he just goes absolutely ape, ape. ape well, I'm not gonna say yeah. the word, but ape shit, <laughs> I guess. And he's yeah. like slamming it on on the cistern, and he's just going right crazy, and he's throwing it around. He's just like, I'm like, holy jeez, man! Like you need some psychological uh, work there, buddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes mental the whole movie, basically, you know. But uh, not not in the first half of the movie. Basically, as as the movie goes, you know, only after two weeks, he says he says to the. The keeper, the the senior keeper, that call, call me by my name. Yeah, I'm Ephraim Winslow. You know that that's the fake fake identity. Right. But anyway, he he breaks that silence and he's he's already really angry because he he keeps calling him a lad. You know, mm-hmm. so he comes up. You know, and uh, and only then he actually starts to drink. You know, he he takes a little, little shot here and there, and then of course in the end of the movie, when they uh, the, when the other crew doesn't come to change them, you know, they go really mental. I I think at some point they start to drink a turpentine. Uh, I think it was oil actually. I was looking that up a little bit, and he's got a canister that he at the end of the movie where he's drinking out of, and I think it's uh. I think it's lighthouse oil, to tell you the truth. So whatever, oh, whatever, okay. lighthouse, whatever lighthouse oil is, I don't know if it's toxic to you, but uh, I'm sure if you drink enough, it, you'll probably die from it. So okay. So it it could be a vegetable type of oil too. We we don't know. I I don't know anything about lighthouses. So <laughs> uh, me neither. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. 
That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You are currently listening to the Unsung Cinematics Podcast. But uh, Anyways, so. I think we should back up a bit, too, because I wanted to mention uh, uh, the effigy. At the start of the movie, he fi- when he goes to sit on his bed for the first time, he, see- he finds this eff- effigy of a mermaid kind of... Uh, there's a, a cut in the mattress, and it's stuffed in this mattress. And I'm when this when he finds this effigy, he's like, "Oh, this is interesting. I'm going to keep it. It could be good luck charm or something." But uh, I I think what is the purpose of the effigy was is kind of the the turning not the turning point, but kind of signaling to the audience that uh, you know this is the start of. The downhill for his psychological well-being. Mad, madness, madness, yeah. yeah. And I'm kind of curious now that I think about it. If actually older Thomas was the one who actually put it there, and if he's done that to basically everyone who's come through that lighthouse. You mean like a trap? Like a trap, yeah. Because he's because be. older Thomas is very superstitious. You know, with the seagulls. Uh, you know, they're dead sailors, and he was. He's always got the. Every time he prays for dinner or or he's drinking, he's always got some poem that he's talking about, right? And these right, poem- he's yeah, he keeps like it's kind of like a prayer or kind of like it's kind of like toast. a prayer, but in in a way, uh, the more you go through the movie, you realize that his prayers are actually not prayers at all, but they're actually curses. I, they I are, believe yeah, they but are he, negative. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm my. I, I believe that he's actually put the effigy there on purpose. You know, it's not just something that the last guy left behind, right? I haven't thought about that. I, I actually thought it was simply there from the previous shift, you know. Or maybe what I was thinking, maybe it's it's simply there, you know, like everybody would use it, you know, like each each shift, each, each second would use it always. Well... I'm not sure about that because I don't know if you know anything about mermaids. Mermaids are considered like a, a curse on the sea. You don't want to make contact with a, a mermaid. I don't know if you've watched any uh, pirate movies in the past, but generally speaking, when you see a mermaid, you want to stay away from it because they can lure you into their, their traps, right? Okay. They lure you by, you know, like because they are naked and you can see the breasts and everything else. Right. So, so sailors would follow them and they would kill them or something, right? Basically, they would they would jump over the ship into the sea and then they would bring them down to the bottom of the sea and then basically kill them, right? So and they couldn't get they can couldn't get away. They couldn't get back to the surface. So, I think the mermaid uh, and older Thomas's superstitions. I, I I honestly believe that this the effigy was was literally there just to just to you know plant planted planted yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now that you're talking about that, it's quite possible because basically the older Tom is mythological figure. He's he's kind of like a uh, Proteus, you know, like a Greek god of the seas. Uh, so he he kind of overseeing everything. He can he can see the younger Tom all the time. What he does. And he's kind of sometimes he's like he's, he's, he seems to me unhuman, 
Well, the I think the Greek god you're referring to is Poseidon. Is that who you're thinking of? No, it. Well, it's Proteus. It's because uh... he would be the overlooker of the sea, right? And Poseidon was always sort of a, as far as I gather, he was always sort of a, a, a father figure, but always sort of a, a mean person who would drown, like take your ship down into the sea, just because he can. Oh. Uh... And I feel well, like older po- 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 Poseidon is actually father of Proteus. Okay. Proteus is a, uh, a sea god, right? He oversees all the, all, sea, all rivers and seas and oceans and everything else. And Poseidon is actually his father. Okay. That's what I I okay. remember from a little okay, bit that's, from. That's, yeah, no, I mean I, I'm probably wrong. I, I'm not. I don't follow the Greek gods or anything, but I, that's just my understanding. But yeah, yeah. Well, well, I I, I used to read uh, lots of mythology because uh, we have this nice edition with the pictures and everything else. So it was really nice and interesting. So I still remember a few things here and there. So, so what do you think about the power struggle between older Tom and y- younger Tom? Power struggle was there all the time, and as from human aspect, for, as as for the human aspect, I think older Tom was real asshole. You know, mm-hmm. he just uh, I I think he co- he couldn't stand anyone else around. You know, he just wanted to do his job. He's got his second. He would abuse him. You know, he was bossy and everything else, and he would just tend to the light. You know, so as a, as a human aspect, his his uh, character he he was really ill character. You know, right. And younger so, Tom Thomas was always trying to. He always he through the whole movie he wanted to go up to the lighthouse. He wanted to be the t- tend to the light himself, right? Maybe replace the oil, but uh, older Tom would never let him do it. And in one of the first scenes, he. He's carrying up this huge jug of of uh, lantern oil. And, <laughs> and that was that was kind of slapstick there, like he yeah. was dragging, dragging, you know. And then yeah. older Tom's like, "Well, what?" Kind of like in his voice, he's like, "What? What are you doing there?" Uh, you know, kind of anything. Like, are you crazy? Like, just bring up the small pot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. But he never lets him go up there because it's locked, and there's like a grate uh, up there, right? And he has to unlock it to get up there. So, yeah, yeah. Which is so, kind, of, kind of funny. Like, why would it be locked in the first place? There's nobody on this this rock, this little island. It's not like anybody else is going to get in there. So, like, what is he worried about? Who's who is he worried about getting in there? So, well, because he believed there is some kind of strength or enchantment in the light, you know, some kind of power and so on. So, right, and. Also, from the mytholo- mythological point of view, the young um, Tom is kind of Prometheus. You know, he trying he, he's trying to steal the light. You know, oh, okay. Back yeah, yeah. back from back from the gods. Right. You know, and, hence, hence the last last uh, scene where he's uh, lying, and his his bowels are out, and the seagulls are eating his. Um, you know, in inner inner parts. You know, this the same same actually happened to Prometheus. That's that's a famous story, you know. He was chained to the rock and for the whole life he had to suffer the uh, I think they were eating his uh, liver. Oh, so, really? 
Yeah. Okay. So I wonder I if think- uh, the original story, the um, Edgar Allan Poe, I haven't read the unfinished adaptation, but I wonder if that's he's took some creative oh, elements yeah. from from uh, the, the the mythology. Oh, okay. You mean the original project, right? Of uh, Max Eggers, basically. You know, he started the project, and then it, it it's supposed to be based, I think, solely only on the Edgar Allan Poe's uh, story. But then Robert Eggers, he modifies. You know, he modified it and uh, make make this movie, basically. Yeah, he modified it, and actually, it was um, Max. Max's original idea for the movie, it was actually supposed to be his movie originally, was to have a, a ghost story in the lighthouse. But because he wasn't able to get it off the ground, uh, they, they worked on it together. So, uh, so it's a combination of inspiration from Edgar Allan Poe, but also an ins- his ghost story as well. So it's kind of... Go- a- yeah, the, you, have, you have lots of mythology there, religion stuff. And also human aspect, basically two people, not really, they're trying to be, they're basically fighting all the time and their characters are stripping down as the movie goes. Mm -hmm. And more more the characters are stripping down, more they hate each other. Right, right. So basically, it's unbearable to be together for for them too. Right, know. and it actually, uh, it, midpoint of the movie when uh, younger Thomas realizes that he's stranded on the island, that's basically when he lets it uh, start to fall apart. Uh, he starts to drink. You know, uh, yeah. he, he thought he thought it was his last night there, so he's like, okay, let's just uh, drink or whatever. It's not gonna harm anything and then that's yeah he he was relieved you know like finally finally I'm going home you know like from this old fool you know and then they were stranded there yeah and actually I want to bring up one point too about the the plot Um, as he kills the seagull the camera pans up to the top of the lighthouse where the wind what do they call it it's called the Oh, I'm trying to think of the name, but anyways, on the top of the lighthouse, there's an arrow, and it it basically turns based on which way the wind is is going, right? Okay, so, okay, yeah. So as soon as he kills that seagull, it pans up to the top of the lighthouse, and you see the wind change from I think it was a uh, easterly direction to a westerly direction. It's it's a hard turn, so I I believe uh, Edgar's idea for that was is that this is where everything's going to fall apart this is where the real crazy stuff is going to start happening because he killed yeah. this he killed this seagull which he wasn't supposed to do yeah yeah that was the beginning beginning of the real storm and the real rain right in the real the, storm in the, came in the biblical meaning you know like this <laughs> is the real real rain which washes everything away you know all the filth and bad things you know, right. A so lot, a lot of that. that. I found the plot as well. Did you find it? I found it very ragged, rigid. Um, I found it very disjointed. But I think that 
it was disjointed on purpose. Um, Even though it may have been slightly hard to follow in some parts of it, I think it was done on purpose, and I think it worked really well for for the story. It did, actually. Yeah, you have... You have these huge time jumps, you know, like suddenly we are uh, suddenly there, there are two weeks because they have few, few cuts, mm-hmm. uh, both of them working, you know, sometimes sleeping, and then suddenly you have two weeks. Yeah, and exactly. then 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 the story is starting to be more comprehensible, I would say, after those two weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they 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 start to really talk. Before it was like kind of like silent movie, you know, like you have cuts, you know, like uh, younger Tom working, uh, older older Tom on the top of the lighthouse, you know, jerking off the light, then younger Tom working, then jerking, and and no, there was no, there wasn't much talking. No, it wasn't you, until they they really started drinking that's when the dialogue started coming out a lot more. Right. Right, so, so yeah, it, the, at the the beginning of the movie, I would say first third of the movie, it's kind of sketchy and uh, not not really coercive, you know, to the to the to the viewer. Mm-hmm. So, I, I I think that's the part of the reason why many people turn it off, this movie. Uh, well, it, yeah, it could be very. Startling to someone who's not used to this. You have to have uh, a certain mindset going into it. Otherwise, you may be... Certain mindset. That you have to have patience for art, art films. You have to have patience and certain mind. Mm-hmm. And uh, and actually, it's ra- it's rated R, obviously. I, I don't think we mentioned this, but it is rated R and it's not... Yeah, you, definitely you wouldn't take your kids to see it or even if you're maybe 13 years old, you probably wouldn't, wouldn't understand it either, but maybe you would. Oh, of course, it's useless to for thirteen years old to watch it. You know, it's completely not not really good thing because even the story is very heavy. You know, we have lots of um, hard issues, and plus, uh, it's it's simply for uh, older people. I mean, older by you know mature. Right. And it, it made me feel like it, it made me feel like I never want to be a lighthouse keeper. Like I was like if this is what it's like to be a lighthouse keeper back then I, I'm absolutely terrified. But I mean obviously it's probably not exactly, like that, but, exactly. but it made me I, feel I that way anyways. <laughs> I, I know what you mean actually because uh I mean the lighthouse keeper might seem like a kind of romantic and uh, adventurous thing, you know, like you can be in somewhere in some deserted island, and you can, you know, think and reflect. You can pray. You can write your book or something. It, it seems really something like attractive thing. Mm-hmm. But this movie doesn't really advertise this <laughs> this occupation very much. Right. You know, you don't feel anymore. You know, like after watching this movie, you don't you don't want to be light light uh, lighthouse keeper anymore. I think so. Yeah, uh, I mean, I should probably watch some other lighthouse movies just to see c- compare them, but yeah, just to reconcile with the job, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> you, I'm sure you could probably find some movie from the 40s or the 50s where it's kind of like a 
romantic uh, romantic comedy or something where they're a lighthouse keeper and then it makes you feel good about it. But maybe I'll have Could to be. watch that just to balance myself out again. <laughs> Can be, yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, too, um, I was going to mention. Um, I didn't really think there was much of a subplot other than the backstory of younger Tom. I don't think there was much of a subplot. I'm, and I don't think that would have worked if if there was to either. What, what are your thoughts? No, no, there is not much subplot other than uh, flashbacks, uh, some dreams, dream sequences, and uh, there is a little bit of, I wouldn't call it subplot, but we learned something about the older Tom, you know, just a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. we know he he was on the sea. We know his family. He, I don't know if he abandoned them or or they just left from him because he was never there. So he's got some children. He never he never says the names or the. No, he's, or, he's or, yeah. He keeps to a, himself, he keeps a, to himself. He doesn't want anyone to know. H. His psychological issues, I guess that's what's exactly. He doesn't really he doesn't really confess much. So yeah, there is not much subplot. The only subplot is probably not probably, but for sure it's only the story of younger Tom, how he kills this uh, coworker back in the bushes, and uh, how he didn't help him. Then he was saying like he was trying to do, he was trying to get a respectable job, so he would uh, apply for a lighthouse keeper. Yeah, and actually, yeah. older Thomas was saying, "I don't envy envy your previous job as a woodsman or, or uh, a lumberjack." Yeah, he was a lumberjack, and he didn't he didn't make much money. And then with this job, uh, they were they were saying during the movie like uh, more distant. And more isolated is the lighthouse, more money you get. So he was saying, like, he can get a $1,000 a year, which at that time was, of course, huge money. Oh, for sure. You for know, sure. So, so he, he was planning on to build a house and uh, have, a, have himself a farm and family and everything else. Right. So, so he was really excited about his new life. I think that's the the only subplot that's it's there. Basically, every, the the whole story is focused on them too. Yeah, it's focused on on them just getting making it through that. I guess it was almost not a little over four weeks, technically. Yeah. But and, and uh, it seems to me like it was eight weeks together. Oh, it could have been. Yeah, I think actually one month was the original time frame that he was supposed to be there, and then they got stranded. So. Yeah. 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 Uh, What's interesting? Uh, I, I, I'm. This is this is right at the beginning. There are two scenes I uh, was kind of wondering about. The first scene uh, that uh, stick out for me was uh, uh, them two. Like uh, you, you could see the two silhouettes. How the the ship was approaching the island, and you could see the two silhouettes. And it's not really clear if it's them or not. So you, I kind of wonder, like it, it was almost like I, 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 I kind of thought it was like two ghosts coming to the island. Well, like, I, it was I'm really... not too sure. I mean, at the very beginning, we have the ship, ship, the ship come in with the supplies and and with Thomas, but 
Uh, yeah, and and we could see the two silhouettes like black with black coat. It 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 seems it's them, but then again, not really. You know, like okay, when when there is this little moment when there is a close up of faces, you could see them just from the back. You could see just back of the heads, a little bit of from the profile. So it seems to me none of them has a beard. Oh. So hmm. this is this is something uh, you, you you might like to check later or something you know. Also the second uh, the second thing that was really interesting for me was them two coming to the island, and they they were changing the other keepers, and hmm. that, that was really interesting because they just pass, you know, one, uh, they 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 went down they were up. You know, and they didn't even bother to say something or even, even to you know to say hi or hello or something. Not nothing. So maybe they didn't want to reveal how bad it was there, and they just wanted to get the heck out of there. I don't know, but it was it was kind of weird to me because if you if you take in consideration, you are there for four weeks, and your colleagues are coming to change you. You know, I I would say that you know like. Well, that could have been a, a director's choice to help with uh, keeping keeping the mood very gritty and and uh, depressing. Yeah, that that might be too because I I was checking the script because I was wondering why they didn't say anything, and then in the script it says literally like they they want to say hi or they there is a little sign of that hint. But they don't bother. They just pass each other and they they go both to do their business, you know. So that right. was. You know, it's weird, almost but... like being in a, a big city, maybe like Toronto, where you're just walking down the street and there, nobody really says hi to each other. I guess maybe people are just maybe they they just become so desensitized to their closed. surroundings and and to being closed off from the world that they're just like, oh, okay, sure. So distant yeah. yeah so that that's that's two things I, I was kind of wondering about okay you know all right okay uh, well so we, we kind of skipped ahead way through the plot there anyways but um, I, I don't think there was anything else well we, we can keep keep talking about the plot a little bit I mean we have the the epic monologue of uh, of uh, Willem Dafoe um, this is ba- I think this might have been the second time they were they were drunk and having a, a good time together but get, gets, oh, get, the, gets into a really big fight with, with younger Thomas yeah they get into a fight over over, over his food cooking. <laughs> his cooking yeah and yeah. he's just like well basically from the clip that I played at the start and, and he gets into a fight over the cooking, and he's and he's he's like, "I hate your cooking." Basically, I don't like your lobsters. And and uh, Thomas Wake was was like, "You don't like my cooking? You what do you mean you don't like?" Like he was really heartbroken that he he didn't like his cooking, you know. And he's yeah, he was yeah yeah. He was very very sensitive. I guess he hit a, a soft soft spot with him, and 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 younger Thomas was just kind of like very. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Very 
uh, nonchalant about it. You know, he's like, I don't care how you feel about it. I'm just getting this off my chest no matter what because he was just screaming at him at that point, right? So, yeah, too, too, too straightforward to him, you know. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, and that that's the moment when he performs this uh, long curse. Right. Right, right. Yeah, and it's... It was very hard to understand it. You had to listen to it a few times to get it. But, yeah, it's definitely – If the first time I watched the movie, I didn't realize it was cursed. I thought it was him just ranting about whatever. But the second time that I watched it, I realized that, yeah, you know what? He's actually cur- cursing, you know? Yeah, yeah. He calls upon uh, Triton. Triton is uh, actually Proteus's brother. He's also the uh, mythological – god of the seas and he calls upon him and uh, performs this uh, long long I think it was uh, two or three minutes of footage mm-hmm. and it was done in one take it's a wonder basically and uh, it was amazing you know like how he got to this rhythm and uh, you know when you're considering the phrasing and uh, the old English dialect and everything else, I think Willem Willem Dafoe did amazing, amazing performance. Oh, for sure, and and and, and he, yeah, and he didn't blink once, right? So no, was, no. Well, he's a was, very. I mean, he's a very. Creepy. Yeah, he's very creepy too. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, one scene he's 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 like. Dance, Winslow, dance, dance. You know, when they're, when they're <laughs> yeah, having their yeah. drunken reverie there. And then, uh, you know, another scene, he he, uh, he says, he does it in a very spooky and scary ways. Why did you spill the beans, Tom? Why? Why did you spill the beans, Tom? You know, because the younger Thomas had, had revealed to him, I guess in one of their drunken nights, that, that uh, he had uh, been... Well, it wasn't a murder per se, but you know he let his uh, his coworker die there with the lo- in the in the bush. So, yeah, he he was uh, older. Tom was uh, really upset about that, right? Like uh, he didn't want him to reveal, yeah, more about him, right? He he just wanted to keep it to himself. Basically, I I, I think they were better off when they weren't talking. Basically, you know, like you you can only talk like during the dinner. A little bit, but not really reveal any anything from you know your from your character or from your uh, life story and whatnot. But uh, he prefers to talk about uh, some old stories, uh, life on the boat, on the ship, uh, some women, and and uh, and he lies a lot because he always the history is a little bit different uh, each each time they talk about the same thing so yeah he was he was kind of upset so yeah he pl- he played the role really well i mean he you know he was very dramatic and he both both characters both robert and willem they 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 were able to re- really push the push their performance i think Maybe, maybe uh, if we, uh, when we're talking about the acting, I just want to mention that uh, uh, I don't know if you, you know, read that or if you saw, if you were listening to that in the in the interviews. But uh, 
uh, actually the uh, Robert Pattinson has very interesting techniques when he was trying to be when he goes like really mental he would spin around so he would get this dizziness in his eyes okay. so he, he, he so he would look uh, differently like kind of like a lunatic right also also he would uh, he would be slapping himself a lot before okay. the scene right and he and also he was gagging you know he was he was putting his fingers into the throat so his face would be like really disgusted and you know like uh, that's why sometimes you can see like pure disgust in his face so right before the scene he would put the fingers in his throat and uh, and uh, that's why he that that was his his technique and that's how he uh, how he was preparing to the scenes right and actually both robert and william they have very, the interview i was watching they had very uh different um ways of preparing so willem uh would actually they he had a i guess it was like a not a fishing shack but like um uh, it was a s- small structure that he would go into and he was uh, he was by himself, yeah. He was by himself. He would practice his lines over and over and over again, practice, practice, practice. And, and Robert was kind of the opposite, I guess, uh, in that style. He'd be less prepared with his lines, but he would, yeah, as you would say, he would do these sort of off-the-wall sort of things to prepare him for the mood, right? You are listening to the Unsung Cinematics Podcast with your hosts, Stuart and Rostel. We find and review overlooked films and TV series for your enjoyment. Yeah. I didn't really care about Robert Pattinson before because he was famous for uh, Twilight Saga, which I don't really care about. Uh, the, yeah, this, well, uh, yeah, t- teenage sort of angst. Yeah, yeah vampire, vampire crap. Yeah. I didn't really care about that. He was in it, you know. I watch it only because my ex ex girlfriend would make me, you know. <laughs> so, so, so I didn't really care. But now that I saw him in this movie, I am really interested to see some other of his work, you know. Yeah, he, sure. he, yeah, he did. He did a really uh, fine job, you know. He he played the role right to. In fact, like these roles are very hard to play. I mean, to be able to get yourself, you know into a state of mind and make it they make the audience believe that you're actually are crazy you know you, you, maybe you have to be a little bit crazy yourself that's that's not easy actually right it was very very they, they were tired every day because uh because of the lots of there was lots of physicality in the movie you know walking and uh, he was hanging by you know he was painting that wall uh, he was doing those uh, dolly shots, so he had to walk with the wheelbarrow and so on. Mm-hmm. And not only physicality, but also it was uh, psychologically very, very tiring. And uh, oh, yeah. that's it why was, it that... was absolutely miserable for them. They they were like they they were just like let's get through the scene, you know. <laughs> right, right. And they, they they didn't even talk after the sets. They just go to their you know, he uh, Pattinson. He lived in the, uh, ho- some hotel together with the fil- film filming crew, mm-hmm. and therefore, therefore we would uh, go to that uh, fishing shed, or 
I don't yeah, know what to call it. Yeah, it it wasn't a shed. It wasn't really. A, I guess it was a cabin of a cabin of sorts that, that was. Uh, he yeah he he ran the cabin I guess so. Right, and so I, he, as far as I remember, I don't think the cabin was all that far away either. It wasn't uh, uh, that far away because he was pretty it, close to the close to the it, uh, set. Yeah, to the film set. Yeah, yeah. So they wouldn't talk. They would be really tired, and just to imagine, like. Uh, you know they had to do it in thirty days, and how many takes they had to take. You know, like uh, I think when there is that scene when there is like really windy and there is lots of rain, I think they did uh, seven takes. Okay, and it's possible. From uh, from what I gather, they tried to do most of it, most scenes, and or he was saying. The some scenes they had to do one take. They had no choice because of how bad the weather was, or if there was uh, the ocean waves were coming up and stuff. So a lot of the scenes they had to do only one take because that was their only opportunity to do it. Uh, but I guess when you're in the lighthouse and and whatnot, you, you have more opportunity to do other scenes as well, like more takes to get it down down pat. Right, and uh, also the interesting thing is that uh, they did rehearsals. The Eggers was insisting on rehearsals, but not because of the script. But it's it was more about to get actors actually to know the geography of the film set. Right. So he, Ed, he was insi- yeah he was insisting on that. Yeah, he was insist. Eggers was insisting on that because uh, the cameras. Um, were situated in a certain place. The cameras weren't necessarily following around the actors. It was the actors that had to come into the into the area of the cameras. So it's kind of done backwards. The way he filmed it was was different than what you would normally do. Usually the cameras follow around the actors, but they wanted the the actors to do their thing exactly so, how they wanted them yeah. to do it. And then, so if his back is facing the camera, that's the style that they chose for it. So. Uh, Robert, uh, on the other hand, he didn't actually want to do. Uh, he was very difficult to get him to do rehearsals, and he was very um, against it. Willem, on the other hand, he w- he basically said, "Yeah, no, I, he loves rehearsals." That's because he used to be a the- theatrical actor as well, right? So, uh, I think he still is. I think uh, they have some experiment, experimental uh, the- theater. I'm, I'm not sure in New York. I think. Uh, yeah, sure. very, I, I, I didn't dig into his past too much, but you, you, you're probably right. He's probably does. Uh, he's probably. St- I mean, you don't ever go away from theatrical acting, right? I mean, he it may not right. be his main career, but I mean, he probably still does it. And Pattinson actually didn't want to rehearse because uh, he's got PTSD from one rehearsal that he was fired from. Oh. So he he, he was he was. Uh, Rehearsing something, I don't know if it's in theater or whatever else, and uh, he got fired. So he he he's got this PTSD and uh, he's not really into rehearsing much. Hmm. So, yeah, that's. I did not know that. Yeah, that was revealed during the interview, actually. Right, and and uh, the other cast. I mean, we have uh, Logan Logan, I guess Hawks. Uh, a brief, brief, very brief, uh, which was Ephraim Winslow, which was the character that was stolen. 
Um, I mean, we can't really say too much about his role because it was so short. And then we have uh, Valeria or or Valerie Caraman, which was the mermaid. I mean, she had a brief role in the film as well, Uh, but she didn't really do any talking. The only thing she did was basically scream. Scream, yeah. 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 And she smiled just for a little while, just for a split second. And then she would go like to this kind of like siren scream. Right, you know, yeah, it's a siren scream, you know, kind of uh, some some something to scare like you. Uh, to scare and also uh like in the Greek mythology you have this uh well she's a mermaid. I don't know if that's the same like uh, siren, but uh, siren they used to have this uh, really loud and unbearable scream. Mm-hmm. And uh, sailors uh well, this is the Od- Odysseus story, you know. The sailors would have to plug their ears so they would be able to come to them. Right. You know, so so this is something like that, you know. It's not really exactly like uh, Greek mythology, but uh, it, might, it might be some... Well, it's close enough. It's close enough, yeah. Mm-hmm. So... All right. Um, did you have anything else you want to mention about the the cast... Well, we have these uh, two people on set, and w- Willem therefore actually mentioned this that it's really hard to make a movie if there is only two persons because you 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 have to uh, rely on each other, you know. So it's uh, it's it's something like uh, you have podcast and it's just us two, you know. So we have to be sharp and we have to rely on each other. Right, you know, right. It's, it's the same with the acting, basically. I think I think it's much easier to act to play someone if you have more characters. So, and if you have just two, it's really like just them two. So, well, yeah, there'd be uh, less less script to worry about as, as well. Um, you could actually take breaks in between, and you know, even like uh, with, with a podcast, you know, you. There might be occasionally an uh, uncomfortable pause or, or a, a period of silence, you know, and you're trying to think of what to say. But <laughs> <laughs> Right, exactly. So something like that, you know, like he, he said that it's really hard yeah. when you have just two people. And uh, there is there is not many, many movies like that, right? Like you have this, uh, I think there is this old movie from uh, an island uh, during the World War Two. There is this Japanese soldier uh, versus American soldier. Not sure about the name of the movie. And the like two two person movies uh, are not very often done. No, no, I, I suppose so, not. You might so get pretty, four person movie or three or yeah, I guess Blair Witch Project probably had four or five, you know, like a small group. But, but yeah, you, you don't really see a lot. Maybe... Maybe it's because maybe the fil- films we're looking at are, are generally not that. But I mean, I can look keep a lookout because they're interesting uh, films, anyways. Right. Uh, right. And actually, I was w- mention one thing about uh, Willem Dafoe as well. I think one of the reasons why he was so good at his role is because he has a lot of experience uh, with 
being a villain. Like I think one of the first memories I have, one of the first memories I have of him as an actor is in Spider Man in in the nineties. He played the the Goblin, who was also the he was also the uh, yeah he was he was the father of uh, the, the CEO of uh, of the oh, what's that the corporation called again. I can't remember the name of the corporation, but anyways, it was the major corporation that. Right. But he played the goblin very well. He played a very uh, good insanity role. Like uh, he he went absolutely crazy. So I think he had experience there. And also he was in, um, what was it? Another early movie from the nineties. It was. Well, first time I saw him was, uh, uh, in uh, Platoon. Okay. Yeah, there was also he. He wasn't villain then, but he was like a, like a, one of those better characters, you know. And uh, also, I saw him in the Nymphomaniac. Oh, he was. Oh, okay. Now I remember. He was in Antichrist. That's um, that's also the one of those. Uh, I would say almost art movies uh, by Lars von Trier. All you know these, what? He was. A, you know, I remember this now. He was in American Psycho. That's not the movie I was thinking of, but he was. Uh, he had a brief role in American Psycho. Oh, okay. He was a private investigator in American Psycho. Yeah, and as well, there was one uh, sort of gritty movie. Oh, Boondock Saints. That's what I was thinking of. I think we probably w- would have watched that together actually uh, back in the day. But I don't know if you remember that movie at all. Which one again? Boondock Saints. Ah, oh, Boondock Saints. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's kind of cult movie now, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. So, it so seems it, it's it seems to me like uh, um, all those directors who do this artsy artsy stuff, you know, like uh, Lance Fortier, uh, now Eggers, um, also these Bulldog Brothers, uh, they, they they like to call him, they like to cast him because he's he's very versatile. As an actor, he's got also the theatrical experience, and uh, he has a very interesting uh, his his face is really interesting. His features, you know, he's got these high cheeks, and and even even now now he's older, but he's still you know he's still very interesting character. Oh yes, he has a very uh, distinguished uh, facial features, uh, right and. It's it's got to be from his theatrical experience that makes him interesting because he can he can really play up the role and he can really uh, he can overact it if necessary you know and I think that worked well for the movie the fact that he could overact his theatrical performance yeah 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 and he he actually he was uh, he he hired a uh, dialect coach for. Because he was talking the old English, like uh, how the sailors, Atlantic sailors, they used to talk like that. Okay. You well, know? it's not really old English. It's more. It's more of a dialect. But but yes, I know what you mean. Yeah. Like uh, there's lots of like conjugations and everything else. It's uh, for for me. It was because I I read uh, lots of Mark Twain books and uh, Charles Dickens. So it wasn't that hard for me to understand all those. But, uh, well, I, I, re- I uh, certainly recommend uh, subtitles for this movie. 
Yes, and, it, it, uh, it's helpful. I didn't actually watch it with subtitles, but maybe because I'm used to listening. I mean, I know a lot of, I have a lot of friends and and whatnot who are well. Obviously, you're from a different country, and and I know people from different countries. So I I'm learning to. And I also worked in a call center, so I hear a lot of different dialects and, and ways to speak English. So I, it, for me, it wasn't that big of a deal. But if you're not of course, used, used yeah. to that, you you should definitely turn on the subtitles, I would agree. And other thing I would recommend, to if you, if you don't have uh, really good speakers, you should watch it with the headphones on, for sure. Because they really good. they really done a good job with the sounds, sound effects. Right, the sound effects were top notch. Um, amazing, amazing. Right. I I was I was watching this movie with my headphones and. Yeah, I was you could just... hear all the little details. You could hear the weather, the atmosphere, all the little yeah. cl- clinks and clanks, the creaking in the floor. Uh, you know, open and there was a, a, a wardrobe. You could hear the creaking of that, and that. Could, yeah, 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 yeah. They really play really good on this, you know, really nice, nice job. Sound effects and everything else. Oh, yeah, special effects, sound effects, everything. I mean, there wasn't a lot of special or special effects per se, but the other effects, uh, the props were very authentic. I mean, the way um, Willem was talking about the, the props, you know, he he was very Co- impressed. Costumes, with, comes with the costumes. costumes. Yeah, he, the costumes were, well... I mean, I, I don't know 100% if the costumes were 100% authentic, but they seem to be authentic based on that time frame, based on other TV sure, series yeah. and films that I've seen, you know? And all, all the props were, like, genuinely from that time. You, you, you don't actually have any goofs in this movie. I think it was perfect. Yeah, and even uh, the lighthouse itself, the, the, the tiles on top when he was repairing the roof, uh, were very authentic. They were dirty and dingy, and, and they weren't yeah. all the same shape. They were different sizes and stuff. So we yeah. were struggling to get on the roof, you know. And the From hammers, wood. the nails, and everything. Yeah, everything, yeah. like the bo- the he bottles was... they used for the drinking. You know, they were very had that He's... very odd shape to it that you would assume. And uh, cups also, you know, they were using for drinking. Yeah, some yeah. some some of them cups you could see like they were government issued. <laughs> government you know, issue cups, yeah, and the and the the um, and the well, the the water pump, you know, uh, very late eighteenth century. Actually, technically, I think that water pump probably is more of a nineteenth century invention, but it, it was very close, anyways. Right, 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 right. They did they did really good job. He's into the details. He's he's a perfectionist, you know. He he he's he's a perfectionist. And plus, he can take he can take you to the story. He 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 keeps you captured. You know, like you 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 need to stay with him. You know, with the story. Right, and his use of the, camera angles were right were right on too. He points the camera exactly what he wants you to see, and that's yeah. it. There's no deviation yeah. from it, right? It's perfect. It's just perfect. Yeah. A lot of times, and, a lot of times, yeah. he would point the camera somewhere, and then someone, and then one of the uh, actors would walk into the scene. I, I just wanted to point out that uh, actually, Eggert's uh, he spent uh, many, many hours listening to uh, storms on YouTube. Oh, he, really? he he kept listening to storms, and he was searching for 
the perfect sound for Storm. That's why that's why I'm uh, I'm I really recommend the headphones and it was it was amazing. That I think, I uh, think... that sound of the lightnings and thunders and and the the, the waves uh, splashing over over the rocks and that was beautiful. I think he I think he wanted I think the reason why he's a perfectionist and wanted uh, every everything sort of done in one take is because he, he mentioned in one of his interviews that he, he uh, him and his brother are very slow at editing, so I think part of the reason was he wanted to get as much correct the first time and rather not fix it in editing. Right, right. So he he would uh, rather make a. Uh, more takes, and then uh, later only. Yeah, in that so, way, there would have been less. I mean, myself, I do, I do do a lot of editing myself these days, and I know, you know, you you want to get stuff right the first time. You don't have to go back and editing and and be there for hours and hours and hours and fixing one scene or one take or something, right? You want to right. Get, <laughs> and it doesn't sound like either of them are, are. I mean, I guess they had a third third person come in to do some of the editing, but. To be able to sit, you don't want to be sitting there for for three months in front of a computer, just going through every scene. You know, if you can do the editing quickly without having well, to go back and do takes again, then that's that's that helps with their budget as well. Of course, it's uh, it's in 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 the movie industry, so you you need to always think about the budget. You know, so that's basically it. So considering that uh, all these circumstances, he still did the hundred percent good job. You know, I I agree with you hundred uh, percent on that. Um, there's also one thing too I wanted to mention with the seagulls. I don't know if you noticed in the end credits, but there was a uh, an actual special unit that came in from the UK to, I guess, I don't know if they trained the seagulls or directed them. I don't know how that works, but it's it said special thanks to the seagull unit UK. <laughs> so Okay, I didn't know that. So I that was, I was just kind of like that thought that maybe the seagulls were doing their own thing and they were just trying to capture a seagull doing its thing. But apparently they, I guess they were trained somehow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not easy to do this kind of scene because... Of course, animals, they don't speak English, you know, and they, you know, basically, you have only few animals. They really can be tamed somehow or, uh, you know. Probably with food, I would think, somehow. With food, yeah. But it was amazing, you know, those shots with the seagull. That uh, was, like, how, how did they, you know, make him to jump to on uh, uh, younger Tom, you know? You, you kind oh, of they probably... To- I mean, I don't know if you know anything about seagulls from where you are, but seagulls will eat anything. They'll eat garbage, uh, scraps of McDonald's papers and stuff. Like, they'll they'll eat anything, and they're kind of the scavengers. So all they probably had to do is put some sort of a, uh, a liquid or something on him that's attracted to them, and they'd probably... probably oh, I have, I, have experience, I have experience with seagulls from Rome. Oh, actually, okay. Rome is full of seagulls, and they are huge, because they live off the garbage. Right. And uh, they have no problem to, if you if you leave your uh, window open, they have no problem to uh, you know to go to your room. Right. You know. So, was, so, so I guess I guess you're right. They are not. 
because they, they kind of always live with the people, seagulls, so they are not afraid. No, and actually, sometimes even around here, I can go down to a local marina uh, in the summertime, and if I throw a French fry out the window, right away they're right at my door, right at my feet, you know, grabbing it. Yeah, so. yeah exactly. Yeah. So they're not shy, that's for sure. And and actually, if you throw, if you're fishing, they're they're hanging around you if you're fishing too, just like an eagle, right? They're looking yeah. for 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 food, so. Yeah, so I guess it, it was it was feasible for them to make these scenes with the seagull. You know, I don't know how they uh, altered uh, how they altered the the eye because I I I, I mentioned before that uh, seagull actually was missing one eye. It was probably digitally made or, or Pro- probably. I mean, I, I, supp- I mean, if they had a seagull unit from the UK, I, I suppose maybe they could have had some sort of makeshift. Uh, contact lens or, or like a some sort of organic something see-through that they could put on its eyes maybe I don't know how that would work right but, right, right. But yeah it's more, most likely digitally added later but yeah I don't know if I mentioned but uh, if you're talking about the props you know I mean about the seagull missing one eye you know like how they did that you know using some kind of lens or whatever so actually, actor uh, both uh, Willem Dafoe and uh, Robert Pattinson they didn't use any makeup. No, I don't think they would have to. I mean, being a black and white movie, uh, yeah, it yeah, wouldn't matter anyway. So, yeah, yeah. So basically, what was Eggers' goal to achieve? It's like uh, to see the real human being, a real person, you know, with. All those uh, in- imperfections, you know, pores and everything, the wrinkles. So that 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 was his. Basically, he wanted to show the audience uh, like a r- real people from 19th century. Right. You know? that, I think that's what With, what adds to the whole effect of the movie. Uh, because it's all, it it dra- it draws you more into the into the plot because you think that it's actually something that's real right right well the only thing that was like they they use the prosthetics for the you know those rotten teeth because the older older tom he's got really bad teeth well i was just (laughs) i was interesting Uh, apparently willem has uh has uh perfect teeth fake teeth Okay, but so, so I guess movie... I guess he could just swap them out with another set of teeth or something. Could be, you know, but they, they used uh, some kind of I don't know how you call it the prosthetics, I think, like um, kind of like fake teeth that looks like that that look like uh, rotten teeth, you know, kind of brownish and yeah, I don't know how they do that, but uh, it was really good. I was actually thinking like. The guy should see his dentist finally, you know, like he was <laughs> in a bit shape. <laughs> I don't think they had but dentists, really dentists around there. Really. I, I, I don't think either. I don't think either. You know, the only dentist they had around was someone who could who t- took a pair of pliers and pull out your tooth. And it was <laughs> pull rotten. the teeth, yeah. That's about it. But some kind of like repairing and something, I, I, I don't think that was It's not like they on. had toothpaste back in the late 18th century, right? They barely had soap. Uh, yeah, they might, they might have something, you know, but. Not well, I, yeah, I know, I know uh, in in uh, East India they have, uh, I think they use turmeric sometimes to clean their teeth or some spices, but other than that, you don't have like a real toothpaste. 
and what else for the special effects? Well, I mean, we can talk about the lighthouse the, again. I just wanted to quickly mention that the it was actually was a working lighthouse. So Eggers was saying that it could shine actually for up to twenty five kilometers, which is sixteen miles. Um, so that's a little bit of an interesting point as well. So in in one of the final scenes, we see younger Thomas. He he uh, he's in the the top part of the lighthouse in front of the light. So that light that's shining on him is actually the real light, I, I would assume, uh, that's shining on him, not not just uh, special effects or or uh, an on-set light that they added after the fact. Yeah, they did a really good job with that light. And actually, they were, they were kind of afraid that people were going to complain because the light was shining... Uh, across the houses, you know, like imagine you sleep in the, in the night and suddenly this huge light would, you know, go to the, to your room, but, no, <laughs> but nobody, compl- nobody complained, you know, It'd be I like guess. aliens coming down. Oh my God, this, I'm going to be taken by the aliens. <laughs> <laughs> but I, 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 I guess they, they were aware that there was a film set, you know, so it's a small, it's a small town. I'm not sure of the name of the town. Uh, I, I have it in my it. notes here. Just uh, let me go to scroll down here. It was uh, filming took place in the Leaf Erickson Park in Cape Fortu, Nova Scotia. Cape Cape Fortu, exactly. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. So I I actually check it on the Google Maps. I I didn't see many houses there, so I think they were real uh, well aware that something is going on there. So they wouldn't just. I'm sure yeah. they had to get proper, proper permissions and permits and whatnot to do what they wanted to do. So, oh, from of course from the municipal, or, right? I don't know how, especially how if you're, especially if you're going to be building an entire lighthouse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wonder if they dismantle it after the you know film set or something. Who knows? Well, I, I wish I knew the answer to that. I don't. <laughs> Me neither. We're already getting uh, pretty long here. Should we just move on to our overall opinion and and move on? And or do you have some other uh, things that you want to add? No, I am okay. There, there is, of course, still. We could talk about the plot a little more, but if we start talking about the plot a little too much, then we're giving away too many spoilers. I think so. Uh yeah, and plus, plus, there is so much to talk about. I mean. Uh, after the the second half of the movie is really mental, you know you have these scenes like them them drinking like crazy from even even there is this one one scene they drinking straight from the bottle, you know like right can, yeah can, can, can can you imagine to drink hard liquor from the bottle? Uh, wow, I, I can imagine. And actually, they both had their own bottle. And and actually, yeah. I just want to mention something about the drinking seas. Uh, when they when they went when they realized that they were stranded and they weren't, weren't going to get in supplies from the mainland, they went looking for. I guess he, uh, older older Thomas went and d- dug a bunch of supplies in the dirt somewhere. And I thought the scene was kind of funny because when they ended up digging up the dirt, there was this case. That they found, and when they opened the case, I think it was just mostly alcohol in there. <laughs> it wasn't much of anything else. 
Yeah, it was just booze. It was just <laughs> booze, and he was like, "Oh, thank goodness!" Because he he was so worried about not having supplies to and stuff yeah, to rations, eat. Rations, you know. The rations <laughs> were really just hard liquor. <laughs> yeah, I I was actually expecting that there's gonna be some like meat meat teens or you know like I mean like uh, some maybe, maybe fish or or bread or something. Right. But yeah, no, yeah. nothing of the sort. It's just like, oh, thank goodness, the hard liquor is saved. <laughs> Just, just booze. You know, there was like ten bottles. Then after two weeks, they they again they run out. <laughs> they run out quickly. <laughs> well, I think yeah. they're pretty much drinking a bottle a night, anyways, of hard liquor. Yeah, and and they'd wake up in the morning and they weren't even doing their jobs. You know, by the end, they were just kind of like them drinking and just <laughs> screwing around. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. just sleeping, sleeping, or like hangover. Then, yeah, it, hey. it got really, it got really crazy. <laughs> Oh, it was very crazy. They were dancing and singing and jumping up and down and, you know, dance, Winslow, dance, dance, you bastard. Yeah, and kind yeah. of a, like, yeah. you can't stop partying. Like, we're going to party all night long. <laughs> yeah, that was really mental. Yeah. yeah, there was a lot of mental scenes. And I, I don't think we should really give away probably the last three or four scenes, like what actually happens. I mean, it, you should probably watch it for yourself just because it's really good. So. Yeah, I agree. I agree for sure. Um, so if that's if that's about it, I mean, we can move on to our overall opinions, I guess. I don't okay. Know, uh, do you want me to go first? Yeah, please. Okay, I'm just going to mention uh, some things in my overall opinion. So I did find that the dream sequences to be a tad confusing. I did understand them in the end, but I, I did find them a little confusing. Uh, obviously some of these scenes were over the top. There was um, two scenes in particular with, with masturbation. I think maybe that was not really needed per se. So, I mean, it does add to the whole... Well, whole well you gotta stay, you, you got to stay relaxed, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, I understand what, why he added <laughs> it to the movie, but I'm just thinking it probably could have done without it. Uh, there was a scene at the end of the movie I didn't understand... And I'm not going to actually elaborate on it because I don't want to spoil it. As well, um, I think maybe they could have added an extra 10 minutes to the movie just to expand a little more in depth on the previous keeper that had died. I thought yeah, I thought, I, I thought it, that the booze scene that we were just chatting about was a nice touch. You know, it added a little bit of comedic, comedy to it, you know, just to, to right. break it up a little and then uh, there was a Lighten up, yeah. and then actually there was a little surprise at the end uh, as well of the movie that I wasn't expecting uh, involving um, a Doug Grave but I won't go further than that so for my ratings my unsung ratings so under the style directing and theatrical score I'm going to give it an 8.5 uh, under plot I am going to give it a 7 out of 10 out nice. of the cast, I'm going to give it a 9. Uh, special effects, I'm going to give it an 8. And when I add those all up, my total rating out of 10 is an 8.2. And I'm going to say that it should be sung. I'm not going to say mostly unsung. I'm going to say it should be sung. So this is my first first one I'm going to say should be sung. Nice, nice. Usually you rate them really low, but this time... You this time I, I'm going to give it a good one because yeah, 
what they had to do to bring this movie together was incredible. So I'm going to give them a good rating. Yeah, of course. Okay, for my uh, rating, uh, actually, I just want to quickly say uh, the scene in the pit, the very end mm-hmm. of the, the dirt was actually real. Oh, okay, interesting. It, it it wasn't a prop. So right, yeah. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, let's go to the rating. I think the as an overall uh, rating and uh, just to quickly summarize the movie, I mean, I think it was a really great movie, perfect movie, really good editing. Uh, cinematography was amazing. Sound effects really really good and acting was also amazing so uh, as a style directing and theatrical score I give it 8 out of 10 you gave it lower than what I did that's amazing (laughs) usually you rate stuff lower than I do every single time (laughs) well this time, I, I I guess I keep giving the the old movie the same rating. Okay, so <laughs> you got to change it up a little bit. You, you, you're gonna give one movie at least a maybe a five out of ten, and then give one like a ten out of ten just to confuse people a little more. Yeah, well, let's see about that. <laughs> okay. Uh, plot and story score. Uh, I'm gonna give it six out of ten. Six, really? Yeah, oh, that's yeah. I'm long. gonna give it six. Because there is lots of uh, there is there are so many uh, things that stayed closed, and sometimes they don't really make sense. You okay, know? okay, so, I can understand that. Like he, uh, there is this human aspect, and there is this mythological aspect. Uh, okay, you are a mermaid. There uh, sometimes it's like uh, kind of like forced to me, you know, like it doesn't really go into the story, like we could live without that. So that's why I give it a little bit less. All right. Uh, act- acting is ten for me, ten out of ten. Hmm. That was amazing. Special effect nine. Okay. And overall rating is eight point seven. Oh, okay. Eight point seven. I thought you said it was your overall rating was eight. I'm, I'm a little confused. And I think it uh, it's mostly unsung. Mostly unsung. So it's not should be sung. It's mostly unsung. Right. Okay. So we had a complete reversal from our last podcast then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's good. I'm glad glad we have a little bit of a varied opinion on this. So, all right then. I think we're going to wrap up this episode of the Unsung Cinematics Podcast. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on this episode. Thank you. Yeah. uh, Thank you, Rosto, for being with us again today. Well, well, I guess we're both co-hosts, so it doesn't really matter. Uh, In our next episode, we're actually going to cover one of the original zombie fests called The Last Man on Earth from 1964. Thank you to all the listeners out there in podcast land. Do visit and like our Facebook page, visit us on Twitter, and subscribe using your favorite podcasting app. Our social media links, website, and episode guide are available through our Spreaker page at spreaker.com forward slash show 
forward slash unsung dash cinematics. If you like our podcast, you can heart like this episode, share it on social media, or donate to us. The more donations we receive, the less commercials you have to listen to. If you have any questions, concerns, or corrections for myself or Rosto, please feel free to email us or leave a comment on Facebook. This is Stuart and Rosto signing off for another week. Be well and take care. The Unsung Cinematics Podcast is produced by Multimedia Corp and is the joint ownership of Rastislav Viklos and Stuart Rathjean. Copyright 2020, all rights reserved. The statements in this podcast are the opinions of the host and not necessarily a true statement or literal fact. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.